0: Thanks for tuning in to Next Level Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at nextlevelchurch.net.
1: Hey, church, thanks so much for worshiping so far. If you would go ahead and, and have a seat. Right now, we get the opportunity to celebrate baptism. I want to take a few moments just to share with you the why. I mean, what is baptism all about? What, is it, what does it represent to us? And I've, I've chosen two scriptures that I think point us to the significance of baptism. The first thing that we're going to see is that baptism, just a moment, people are going to come up and they're going to be in the water, so they're going to go under the water and, and then rise up again. And that is a picture of our union with Jesus. It's a picture of us dying to our old way of life and being raised to a new way of life. In Romans 6, 3-4, we read this, it says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Here's the good news of the gospel, is that no matter who you are, no matter if you ran from God your entire life, that God is willing to walk away the whole. A new life and a new start. And as we see people that are about to take this step of baptism, that's what we're celebrating is the work that Jesus has done in their lives. We also see that it doesn't just represent their union with Jesus, it represents our union as a body, our, our union as, as the sons and daughters of God, and that's the reason in Galatians 3 27 it says, for all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. You see, there's a misunderstanding sometimes that uh that as, as followers of Jesus that we think we're better than people. No, we're not. The truth is, we're all sinners that are saved by the grace of God, and that's how we are all united together. And baptism signifies this union. So right now, we have the opportunity to, uh, to to baptize two people, and I need to give you a little bit of instructions, okay? Um, and, and the instructions are this. If you've, uh, you know, I don't know, growing up in church, when if, if you grew up in church, then maybe you did baptism, and you did like a little golf clap, kind of like this. Yeah, that, that ain't going to work, okay? If you've never been a part of church, let me tell you how to do it, okay? I, I mean, this, this is like, we need to get rowdy, okay? Okay? because we celebrate what Jesus has done in the lives of people, and, and there's nothing greater that we can celebrate. It is why we exist at, as a church, is to make disciples of all the nations. Go we even put our hands together for that. Amen. Uh, so right now, I've got a, we've got two people getting ready to take the next step of, of baptism, and, and first up is going to be Andrew, could you put your hands together for Andrew? Now, and I'll tell you a little bit about, about his, uh, his story. So, we were talking and meeting. Andrew spent uh, his early years growing up in, in the church, but somewhere along the way, Because of substance abuse, it took over in his life when he was a teenager. And it held a grip in his life, even into adulthood. But somewhere in in that way, he still had family and people that loved him that were praying for him. And he eventually made his way right here to to this church. And and during that process, he told me, he said, you know, during that whole time of drugs, I just... didn't even think that God existed. He says, but then something started to shift. He said, maybe, I was like, maybe there is a God. And he started to experience something in his life, that at first he just couldn't put his finger on what it was. But later he came to realize that it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The word conviction means to be cut at the heart. And when he came to that realization that it was the God of the universe that was pricking in his heart to say, I'm still here for you. I still love you. Come back to me. That that realization is what made him say, yes, I need to give my life to Christ. And so that's why he is here today ready to celebrate the baptism. Say, so Andrew, are you? is Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. And are you ready to publicly declare that through baptism? I am. It is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Welcome Ray up. Well, Ray's a little a little bit older than Andrew, just a little bit. And you know, here's what's so 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 beautiful is Ray, when we started talking about. Where he was in his journey, he has been attending Next Level for a, for a number of months, and we met up. He said, "You know, I spent my my whole life just being an atheist, just not even believing that God existed." He said, "But through observing things in, in my my wife and my and my family, and, and, and I, I saw that they had something I didn't have. That there was," and he said, "I realized there was a gap that existed in my life." And he said, "I started coming to." figure out what that gap was and when we met we were talking he was like you know he said I'm you know Ray's not a super emotional guy I mean if you if you get to know him and I said you know I said following Jesus isn't just about following emotions I said I said the idea of believing with your heart is it involves your your mind it involves looking and, and saying did Jesus truly rise from the dead and if you believe that." then we have to take serious everything jesus said and so it's something to do with our minds and it's also an act of our our will it's a decision and our emotions get tied up into all of that and so anyway ray and i we met and then we just stayed in contact he kept coming kept listening and then and then one day i get a a text message and he says uh hey who would i need to talk to if i wanted to get baptized and i'm like uh duh me like right (laughs) And so we uh, we had a conversation about it. Now, here's the thing: um, like directly after this, Ray and his wife are getting ready to move to Florida. Like for real. Like he's going to get baptized, and then they're moving to Florida today. But Ray said this. He said, "Next level has been so instrumental in my life. I could not imagine a different place for me to go public with my faith than right here." And he said, he said, we're going to get involved in a church in Florida, but we're going to keep watching from online. And, and I, I told him, I said, hey, I, I'm here for you. I, I still, I'm going to walk with you in this journey. And so we get to celebrate today, Ray, taking this step of faith. Amen. So Ray, is Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, he is. And are you ready to publicly declare that through the act of baptism? Yes, I am. It was my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Hey, my name is Jason, and welcome to Next Level Church. Thank you so much for being with us today. Here at Next Level, our mission is to love Jesus, love people, and make a difference. Each month at Next Level, we engage in a monthly initiative called our Make a Difference Project, in which we come alongside one of our strategic community partners to show the love of Jesus through our works. For the entire month of January, we have partnered with PORT, a local emergency homeless winter shelter program. Our goal is to serve the homeless community right here in the 757 by providing food and shelter during these cold winter months. This is the final week for us to sign up to provide and serve for our friends right here in our community. Here's how you can help us successfully reach our goal. We have just a couple of spots left to fill serving on February 8th from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. or February 9th from 4.30 to 6.30 a.m. and providing a few food items such as lasagna, muffins, and apples. For a full list of what's left be filled, you can scan the QR code located throughout the building. Come on, Next Level. We are so close to totally satisfying what is needed for this opportunity to serve our community. Thank you for all that you do as we continue to show the love of Jesus to the world. To help us stay on the note, would you help welcome our discipleship pastor, Eric?
1: Man, what a great Sunday! Absolutely love celebrating new life in Jesus. For the next few moments, I want to share some ways that you can uh, stay connected with what's happening right here at Next Level, and I'd like to show and talk about a little bit of their connection to uh, to to baptism and discipleship. Uh, the discipleship process is is pretty simple. It means that we follow Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and we live on the mission of Jesus. and And the things that we do as a church are ultimately geared toward that. That we're hoping that people will take steps in their discipleship with Jesus. Well, I want to let you know that today is the very last day for you to sign up for a group for this semester. Um, and if you if you don't get signed up today, then you'll have to wait to the opening of our next semester. And groups are a great opportunity for you to uh, to... Uh, Wrestle with faith to grow in your faith, and wherever you are in your journey, you may be a person that um, you know finds yourself like uh, like Ray and Andrew uh, did, where they were wrestling with things. And I just want to let you know one of the best context you can be in is a group where you can start rubbing elbows with other people that are following Jesus and and learn about uh, about the faith. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, then being a part of a group can help you. Uh, to, to grow it's, uh, we need other people to challenge us in, in our lives to help us uh, pursue after Jesus, so uh, today last day to sign up. The other uh, thing that today is the last day to sign up for is our next uh, next steps lunch and learn and it 's during this that uh, we, we talk about baptism and what 's the, what's the scriptures behind that and we talk about having faith in Christ. We talk about getting plugged in with groups and finding other ways to, to, to serve. You learn about the history of Next Level and, and our, our vision for, for where God is calling us to be. And so if you would like to participate in that, you need to sign up today. We will provide child care if that's something that you, that you need. Uh, We'll provide a lunch, and we'll have a a great time together. We'll hang out for about an hour and a half. And so go ahead and sign up uh, for our next uh, next step. It's going to be happening next Sunday. And then the last thing that I'll share before Pastor Rob comes up is is giving. Do you know that uh, when we give, what we're doing is we are fueling the mission. Just like a car needs gas, so the mission of Jesus is, Um, uh, Often we have to invest financially. That's one of the ways that we do that. We invest through our our lives, uh, through serving, but we can also um, invest in the kingdom. And every time that we celebrate baptisms, we're celebrating, and you are a person that has invested um, it through giving that that's something to celebrate because you have played a role. Even if it feels indirect, even if you did not know their stories personally, you are a part of, of this journey. And thank you so much for giving uh, generously week in and week out. And, and with that said, you could, each and every week you have the opportunity to give in person through one of our black boxes that are throughout the building, or you can give online uh, at any point, 24-7-365. Well, we are finishing up our teaching series called The Tension is Good. Uh, we, we've been learning about how sometimes we don't like tension, but it's necessary if we're going to grow. Sometimes we need to be challenged by the tensions. Sometimes the tensions exist between you and people. Sometimes it, uh, the tension exists in, uh, in in the scripture itself. And Pastor Rob's going to share with us about another kind of tension today that. If we if we allow it to can help us to grow in our relationship, to move us closer to Jesus one step at, at a time. Before Pastor Rob comes up, check out the screen. <laughs>
2: And now, let's welcome Pastor Rob. Well, good morning to you. Today we are concluding our series entitled, The Tension is Good. And uh, if you've been here throughout the series, I hope that it has stretched you. I hope that it's challenged you. Uh, And the truth is, is that we as humans, but a lot of times we as Christians, we don't like to be stretched. We don't like tension. We want an easy button. We want things to come quickly. We like when life is black and white, when it's just easy. Just tell me what to do and I will do it. But here's what we've learned in this series. We don't like tension, but progress cannot happen without some tension. And if you look at your life, any time that you have grown, any time that you've become stronger or better, it was because there was some tension in your life. If you remove all the tension, then you remove the potential for for growth. And I want to show you this specifically when it comes to your relationship with God. As people of faith, we often do not like to wrestle. We don't like tensions. We just want things to be easy. But the very foundation, the very starting point of our faith in God started with a wrestling match. It started with tension. And I'm going to show you how when you apply this, when you, when you do what this scripture talks about, I want to show you how it can actually strengthen your faith. But before we do that, we want to honor the text. And the way that we do that is by uh, standing and reading it nice and loud. So I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And read with me our theme text for today. It is Genesis 32, 24 through 25. And we like to have a little bit of fun. You'll see two dots between the 32 and the 24. When we see those dots, we just pump our fists and say dot, dot. I want to invite you to do the dot, dot with us. Will you read it with me nice and loud? It says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him... He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Genesis 32, dot, dot, 24 through 25. Now that we've read the text, let's go to God in prayer. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray with me? God, we come before you, and we just thank you that you are God. We admit that, God, we need you. We come into this place with so much baggage, with so much pride, with insecurity, with things that often block us from hearing you. And we ask, God, that you would soften our hearts so that we could clearly hear from you right now. And God, we ask that when we hear from you, that you would give us the courage to do what you tell us to do, because so often fear tells us to run away. And God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may have a seat. So a couple times every year we do a live Q&A in in these services, in our Sunday morning services. And the way that it works is that uh, you get to text in questions, and then they come up on the screen, and I answer them on the spot. And if you've been at Next Level for uh, at least a year, you've seen one of these, because we always do it about two times a year. And every time that we do the Q&A, Uh, Almost every time uh, I have two responses that come up to me after the service. The first response, almost every time we do it, someone comes up to me and says that was fake. That whole thing was staged. There's no way those were real questions. And I'm like, no, I promise you, like that would be an integrity issue if we told you they were live. And then we planted the questions um, and and, and I invite them. I say, hey, come come to another service. If you come to the other service, you'll see it's a totally different set of questions because they're being texted in live and on the spot. The second thing that I always hear after we do the Q&A is, is someone will come to me and they'll say, I don't know how you do that. I could never stand on a stage and receive these questions and just answer the questions. And so I want to just pull back the curtain and let you know my secret. The way that I, and the reason that I can do the Q&As, it, it comes down to one thing. And I think if you embrace this, you could do a Q&A too. Here's, here's my secret. I'm not afraid of questions. I'm not afraid of questions. I don't think that questions are a problem. In fact, I love questions. If you ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, that just means it stretches my faith and I can go do some research. So anytime someone asks a question, if I don't know the answer, I'm not stumped by that. My my pride doesn't get in the way. I'm like, that's a daggone good question. Let me do some research and I'll figure it out. I'm not afraid of hearing questions. Here is what I think is a lot more scary than questions. Questions are not scary What is scary is when people don't have questions. And if you think about in your relationships with the people that are closest to you, when you first started to get to know them, you asked a lot of questions because you were curious and you wanted to get to know them. But then there became a point where you became so familiar with them, you stopped asking questions. And when you stopped asking questions, what you were communicating is, I have nothing else to learn about you. But human beings are complex Human beings are evolving. Human beings have a lot of emotions and a lot of things going on. We will never fully figure out another human being. And it's the exact same thing with God. I am not afraid of questions. I am afraid when people of faith have no questions for God. As if to say, we've got the God of the universe figured out. I grew up in church, therefore I know everything that the Bible has to say. No, that is pride speaking. The God of the universe, you could study him every single day for your entire life. And you still should have more Questions. Questions are not scary. At least they shouldn't be. Sometimes they're annoying. Sometimes when people ask questions, I'm like, just shut up and do what you're supposed to do. Like, stop asking questions. <laughs> but they shouldn't be scary. Questions shouldn't be scary. In fact, questions should be a part of our faith. Uh, my, my friend Jacob, he works in construction and he is newer to the construction scene. And so he is learning a lot on the job. And recently he was working with an older guy and uh, he had to use a tool that he had never used before. And instead of this guy taking Jacob under his wing and teaching him how to do it, he made fun of him. And he said, I can't believe you don't know how to use that tool. He said, I've been working construction since I was 14 years old. Everything I learned about construction, I learned at the age of 14. My friend Jacob is a little bit snarky and he's pretty funny. And so he says, so everything you learned about construction, you learned by the age of 14? And the guy says, yes. And Jacob says, and you're 50 now? And he says, yes. And then Jacob said, man, you wasted a lot of time not learning anything new. (laughs) But so often in faith circles, it's the same thing. I learned everything I need to learn about God when I grew up going to church. I've heard all the stories. I know how they end. Every time David fights Goliath, David wins. Every Easter, the story's the same. Jesus died, and guess what? He rises again. I know all the stories. That is pride speaking. It is prideful to think that you know everything there is to know about the God of the universe. And because God is living and active, it should lead us to ask questions, to try to figure out things, to wrestle with things of faith and say, hey, I don't have it figured out. I don't understand this. It's okay. It's okay to wrestle. I'm not scared of questions. I would rather have someone ask me tough questions than to discourage them from questioning anything at all. In fact, as a church, I want to embrace questions. When we discourage members of the body of Christ from challenging the status quo or even the fundamentals of our faith, we limit their growth. When we tell people, don't ask questions, just believe. Just believe and do what you're told to do. Just believe. Just have faith. We limit the ability to growth because growth comes through the question. It comes through the wrestling. And there are a lot of people who grew up in churches that didn't allow wrestling. They just taught things as black and white and just believe this. But the problem is, is when they are exposed to another idea or another view, their whole faith comes tumbling down. There's a phrase that if you're not familiar with it, I guarantee now that you've heard it, you're going to start hearing this phrase because it is said a lot, especially in church circles. The phrase is deconstructing your faith. It is something that is talked about a whole lot. In fact, just a a week ago Monday, uh, it made national news when a former Christian Grammy-nominated rap artist named Brady Fanatec Goodwin uh, talked about publicly in a video that he was leaving the faith, he was leaving church, uh, and he was leaving God, that he was stepping away. Now, before you dismiss him as just some hip-hop artist, what you need to know is that he was an apologetist for the faith, and he also had a a theology degree. He had a seminary degree. And it was in seminary where he really started to wrestle with things. He said in his video, he said that I compare Christian theology to a Rubik's Cube. I began to look at the faith and say, man, you could turn this Rubik's Cube any particular way and end up with a different understanding. And who can say that that understanding is right or that understanding is wrong? And so he went to seminary and he got a theology degree and he had questions. And in his questions, he had more questions. And no one could come to him and say definitively, this is the only answer. And in fact, when someone did say this is the only answer, he found that someone else would say, no, here's another potential answer. And because things weren't black and white, because things weren't simple, he walked away from the faith completely. In fact, um, when I hear people deconstruct, it it, it normally um, looks something like this. At some point, they had a faith tower. This is Jenga. Jenga, 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 Jenga. Fun word to say. This is a a tower, and this is how a lot of deconstruction works. It typically comes down, in my experience, to three different things. And, And coincidentally, these are the three things that often keep people from coming to the faith as well the three things that often people deconstruct for is they learn new information that they were not taught growing up. And so they grow up in the church and they learn, God is this way, these verses mean this, there's only one way to think about God. And then they go to college or they read the Bible for themselves and they start to see, oh, there's more than one way to think about this. And so because they were never taught how to think, they have part of their faith is taken out and it falls and they deconstruct. And they say, well, I don't know, because now I have questions... And I don't know if I can believe this. It leads to more questions, and more questions lead to taking apart more parts of the faith. In the church world, we have done our best to um, create environments where kids can enjoy coming to church. The downside to that is that we often take hard texts, texts that are not meant for kids, and we, we veggie tales them. We, we, we turn them into little kid stories. Like, for example, a classic example of this is, is Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark, we've said, oh, that's a great kid's tale because there's animals and the animals come by twosies, twosies, and they're so cute. And so we teach kids the story of Noah's Ark. And then the kid grows up and reads the Bible for himself and finds out that the story of Noah's Ark is not a kid's story. It's a story of God's judgment where the people were so evil and the people refused to repent that God judges them and sends a worldwide flood. And because that is different than what they grew up teaching, it takes a brick out of their faith. There's a second reason that people deconstruct, and this is the one that I hear the most, is that they've gotten hurt by the church. That at some point, they, either a Christian leader, a pastor, or someone in the church didn't treat them like Jesus, and now they've connected their hurt to God. And so because they've been hurt, their needs weren't met, they were offended, they start to say, well, if that person offended me and that person represents God, then maybe I can't trust God. And so a brick comes out of their faith. And as soon as a brick comes out of their faith, they then start to question everything. And if I can't trust what that person said about one thing, maybe I can't trust what they said about anything. And they just start taking apart their faith. There's a third reason, though, that people tend to deconstruct. And the third reason is something they love does not line up with Scripture. So they change their belief to match what they love. So there's something in this world where they say, I love this. I know the Bible says that this thing I love is sin, but I would rather love this than submit my life to God. And so I'm going to change the scriptures or ignore the scriptures, or I'm going to deconstruct what I believe about faith. And then they start looking for other ways to deconstruct. And they say, well, if I no longer believe that that is a sin, then maybe these other things that I've said is a sin aren't really sin. And they start pulling out the pieces of their faith until eventually... The whole thing topples over. And then they're left with this pile of bricks, this pile of Jenga pieces. And so often when people deconstruct, they don't reconstruct anything in its place. They just say, well, because I had questions, because I doubted some things and I've torn that down. Now I'm going to walk away from the faith. But nowhere in scripture do you ever see that faith is supposed to be like a brick tower. Nowhere in scripture do you see that faith is supposed to be like Jenga, built on these certain things. What faith is, is faith is actually built on wrestling. It's built on attention. It's built on learning and growing. In fact, the very ancients who started the whole faith in God in the Old Testament, they understood this because their whole faith was built on a WWE wrestling match. If you didn't grow up in church, this is exciting stuff. I'm going to share with you what happened In this text, but before we get to the text, what I need you to know is that if you are a person of faith, you need to get to a place where you embrace wrestling and embrace tension. Because when you don't allow tension and life doesn't match what you were taught, your faith crumbles. And we need to become people of faith who can deal with circumstances and say, this is difficult, this is hard, I have some questions, but I'm not going to give up on faith. And if you are a person of faith... Yeah, you can clap for that. If you are a person of faith, then you can help in this because if you have what you believe to be true and someone comes along and says something that you disagree with, you don't have to fight with them. You don't have to argue. You don't have to get offended. If they believe something that is different than you, let them be wrong. It's okay if they're wrong. Here's something that I believe so with all my heart. God is not insecure about truth, so we shouldn't be either. We can believe what we believe. We can believe in the things of Scripture. We can hold tight to our faith and not be insecure if someone questions it, especially someone in our family. So oftentimes when someone starts to deconstruct, the Christians and their faith freak out and say, No, you can't, you don't, don't ask those questions. And they, they don't know how to handle someone asking questions about the faith. But here's the tension for Christians. The tension for Christians is to live with great passion and conviction while remaining open and flexible. That's the tension for Christians. The tension for Christians is to say, I believe what I believe and I believe it with all my heart. Yet I don't know everything there is to know about God. So in humility, I reserve the right to be wrong. I believe these things. I'm holding to these things, but I'm going to hold to them with an open hand. Because as I grow, my perceptions might grow and change. And as long as I'm holding tight to God and wrestling with God, I can trust that it's okay to ask questions. Here's the truth of the matter. Your faith with God gets deeper when you are willing to openly wrestle with the hard questions, doubts, and tensions. Your faith in God gets deeper. Your faith in God remains shallow when you refuse to wrestle or ask questions or to dig in. A shallow faith doesn't make it through storms. Life is hard. And if you want to have a deep faith that can make it through the tough storms of life, it comes not when you ignore problems, not when you ignore questions. It comes when you wrestle with things of faith. And I want to show you this in our text, starting in Genesis 32, verses 22 through 23. The text starts off by saying, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Full disclosure, I almost didn't include this verse because it's not very Veggie Tales. It's not very uh, kids church friendly. Um, The fact that he has two wives is very problematic. And we're like, what's going on here? Well, what you need to understand is that just because something is written about in the Bible does not mean it's telling us to follow that example. Jacob does lots of really stupid things and he doesn't do these things because God is telling him to do it. He does it because he's a human being living in an ancient world. And the way that Jacob's life, we, we know that everything Jacob did wasn't honoring to God because there's drama all around Jacob's life. And so sometimes the Bible just describes the events that happen. This is what happened. And a description is different than a prescription. Sometimes the Bible prescribes something and says, you should do this. We should trust those things. Other times the Bible just describes things. And just because it describes it, just because it's in the Bible, doesn't mean that it is telling us that we should follow in this example. Jacob's life was filled with so much drama. In fact, when his mom was pregnant with with Jacob, she was having complications. And back then they didn't have ultrasounds or a way to tell what was going on with the baby. So she cries out to God and she says, God, what is going on with my baby? And God says that uh, you don't have one baby. You have two babies. You have twins. And the twins are wrestling with each other in the womb. And they are going to wrestle with each other for the rest of their lives. And when the twins were finally born, the first one to come out, they named Esau. And Esau was hairy. He was like a Sasquatch. He had red, (laughs) thick hair. Now, it's really important, the details of this, because in their day and age, the firstborn son had the biggest honor. The firstborn son in the family got the blessing of the family. They were to be put in charge of the family once the father passed away. So this was a huge blessing that Esau was born first and the text says that when esau was born and he came out of the womb jacob reaches his hand out and grabs esau's heel as if to say not so fast brother come back here i'm not going to let you take my blessing and because his parents saw him do that they gave him the name jacob now in their day and age they would name someone based off a characteristic of who they thought they were the name jacob literally means supplanter Uh, Another way to say this is trickster or jokester or someone that lacks authenticity. Uh, Have you ever like had someone tell you a story and the story is just so unbelievable, you're like, you're pulling my leg. It comes from this idea that Jacob is pulling on the leg, that he is not a, a person that you can trust. Jacob is a supplanter. Now, let me ask you a question. How many times in a day does someone say your name? And think about it. If your name back then described who you were, this is a guy who grew up every single day hearing, hey, trickster, hey, sir, planter. Hey, it's time for dinner, trickster. Hey, go do your homework, trickster. And here's the truth of the matter. When someone tells you something over and over again, even if it's different than who you are, you will form an identity over their words. And Jacob was told so often that he was a trickster, he just fell in line. His identity became that of someone who was, was not authentic, someone who would, who would trick people behind the scenes. And he lives up to this name. He grows up and him and his brother have a lot of, of, of conflict... Uh, but the the conflict comes to a head because his dad is old and his dad is blind and his dad is getting ready to pass the blessing on to the oldest son and the oldest son is his brother Esau. And so his dad calls Esau in but Jacob tricks him. He gets Esau out of the way and he kills a goat and puts the goat on his arm so he has fur and he appears before his dad and he, he says, hey, I'm Esau. And his dad says, well, you don't sound like Esau. And Jacob says, feel my arms. And his dad says, oh yeah, that's my hairy son Esau. You must be Esau. And he gives him the blessing blessing. So Jacob tricks his way into receiving the favor from his dad. And this upsets Esau, like upsets him so much that he wants to kill Jacob. And Jacob is a coward. The reason that he is a trickster is he does things behind the scenes to manipulate things because he's afraid to face things head on. And when he finds out that Esau wants to kill him, he runs away from the problem. He avoids it. He just takes off and he goes to a foreign land where he has some relatives and he goes to live with his relatives. And while he's living with there, he sees a girl, and he thinks that she is incredibly beautiful. And so he asks her dad if he could marry this girl, his first cousin. And his, and her dad, her dad says says yes, you can marry her if you will work for me for seven years. And Jacob says, oh, that's worth it. So he works for seven years. But then craziness happens. And this is one of those things that I really wish I could have been like a fly on the wall. I have so many questions that the Bible does not answer. Somehow, because Jacob's new wife on their wedding night, on the wedding ceremony, some reason she's wearing like a a veil like you do in weddings. And he does not notice that the woman that he thinks he's marrying is not the woman that he's marrying. He's actually marrying her ugly older sister. (laughs) They go through the whole wedding ceremony And the honeymoon. I understand they didn't have electricity, but I still have questions. (laughs) He wakes up the next morning and he looks at his wife and he's like, dang, you're ugly. Where's my real wife? And she's like, oh, no, you're stuck with me now. We're married. He goes out of his tent and he goes to his father-in-law. And he's like, what's the deal? You gave me the ugly sister. And the dad says, well, it's not right that you marry the younger, beautiful sister before the older sister. So now if you'll work for me for seven more years, I'll give you the pretty sister. So Jacob says, all right, I'll work seven more years. But during the 7 years because he's a trickster he does some things to to gain wealth. He he basically works the system to cheat his father-in-law out of wealth. And over these 7 years he gets a lot of a lot of things, a lot of things that would be uh, you know would be considered to be wealthy. And at the end of that 7 years he marries the other sister, but at this point he upsets his father-in-law because his father-in-law sees how much wealth he's basically been stealing. So this is a conflict. Instead of facing the conflict head on, instead of wrestling through it, Jacob flees for his life once again. And he's headed back home. And as he's headed back home, he gets word that Esau, his hairy older brother, is coming to get him. And he is scared to death. So he sends his family and all his wealth ahead of him. Now, we don't know for sure why he did this. But a lot of people think that the reason he did this was to calm his brother down. As if to say, look how much money I have. I'll give you some money if you don't kill me. And look at your nieces and nephews. Look at, look at your family. Like, don't kill me. Remember, we're blood. And so he sends everyone ahead and he is left alone in the wilderness with his thoughts. And this is where the text picks up. Genesis 32, 24 through 25. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, at this point, the text says that Jacob wrestles with someone. We don't know who this person is. It could be Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, The Rock. We have no idea who he is. But Jacob is wrestling. Now, what is significant about this is up until this point in his life, anytime there's a conflict, Jacob runs away from it. But for some reason in this conflict, he decides to wrestle back. He doesn't run for his life. He doesn't act like a coward. He actually wrestles. And without this tension, Jacob would not have become strong. Because his whole life he's been avoiding tension. And he's been avoiding difficult conversations And he's been running from things. But this tension he meets face on. And because of it, you're going to see in a second, he actually becomes a great man, but he needed this tension in order for it to become great. Let's look at the text, see what it says next. Genesis 32, 26 through 28. It says, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob answered, it doesn't matter what my name is. No, Jacob answered, the man, (laughs) Jacob answered, Then the man said, sorry, that's an old 90s wrestling reference. Only two of you got that. I apologize. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This is where the text really gets interesting. At some point in their all-night-long wrestling match, Jacob realizes that the person that he's wrestling with is a divine being. Now, we don't know for sure. Some people think that he's wrestling an angel, Some people think that he's wrestling a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. That Jesus has always existed. But there was a time in history where Jesus came as a baby. But before that in the Old Testament, he made little appearances throughout the Old Testament. And some people think that this is one of those appearances. That Jesus came as Jesus in the Old Testament and he wrestled with Jacob. We don't know for sure who this is, but we do know he is a divine being sent by God. And Jacob wrestles with him. And at some point, the man says, this divine being says, let go of me. I'm tired of wrestling with you. And Jacob, because he knows he's divine, says, I won't let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go with you. I'm not going to stop wrestling with the God of the universe because I have questions. I'm not going to wrestle because things didn't go my way and I'm going through a difficult situation. I'm not going to stop wrestling. I'm not going to wrestle until I'm not going to stop wrestling until you bless me. And the divine being then touches his hip and he becomes limp in the hip and he has to let go. And then at that point, the divine being asks him his name and he says to him, my name is Jacob. My name is trickster. My name is surplanter. And the divine being says, no, because you've wrestled with God, I'm going to change your identity. You see, a lot of Christians have weak faith because they've never wrestled with God. And if you want to have deep roots, if you want to have a deep faith, it comes not from avoiding the tough questions of Scripture and the tough questions of life, but it comes from facing them head on and wrestling with them. And when you wrestle with God and you come out the other side, you have an identity that is strong and, and, and can withstand the storms of life. Jacob's new name that he has given is the name Israel. Well, what does Israel mean? Israel means he struggles with God. Now, this is very interesting and this is significant because Jacob is is wanting a blessing from God and God gives him a new identity. God says your identity has been trickster. Your identity has been been jokester. Your identity has been a joke. But now because you've wrestled with me, I'm going to give you a new identity and your new identity is going to be he struggles with God. Uh, One uh, one rabbi, uh, rabbi, Rabbi Matthew Berkowitz, has this to say about this. He says, it's not coincidental that the Jewish people carry the title Israel, meaning the one who sees God or one who struggles with God. When do we encounter God's presence today? It is when we wrestle, when we ask difficult questions about ethics and behavior. It is only when we confront the other that we truly rise to our potential and enter into God's presence. Wrestling is the best of who we are as a people. You see, anytime that we have an expectation of God or we've built a faith Uh, on God and we learn something that is different. The temptation is to tear it all down and to walk away and say, that's difficult. But our whole faith is built on the fact that a man wrestled with God and he came out on the other side. In fact, I remember one time um, I met with a a Jewish rabbi because I had questions. A lot of the times when I have questions about the Old Testament that I can't find answers to, I run to the New Testament because Jesus says, if you've seen me, then you've seen God. And so a lot of my questions are answered through the New Testament but the first 300 years of Christianity, they didn't have the entire New Testament form. They had the letters written, but it wasn't bound in a book. They didn't have the printing press. And so it was an oral faith. So I started wrestling with this thought and said, okay, well, how did they teach from the Bible when everything in the Old Testament is just very different than the world we live in? So I went to a Jewish rabbi and I just asked him some tough questions. Like I asked him the question, um, how do you teach purity to your teenagers when every major character in your scriptures has has multiple wives and is sleeping with a bunch of people and they have concubines. How do you then go to your teenagers and say true love waits? I don't understand how you do that. I asked him questions like, hey, what do you do with, with, with hell and the devil? Because in our New Testament, we learn about hell and the devil. But in the Old Testament, it's not as prevalent. It's not mentioned. So what do you what do you do with this? I asked him hard questions like, what do you do with the fact that God tells his people to walk into a land and to wipe all of them out, every man, woman, and child? Like, does that make you think that God's not good? I asked him really tough questions. And his response to me, I will never forget it. He said, here's what you need to understand. He said, my whole faith, the whole Jewish faith is built on the fact that a man wrestled with God and he experienced God's presence on the other side. So when you bring to me tough questions, we don't think that this is cause to not believe in God. We think this is cause to wrestle. And when we wrestle and we dig in and we look for answers, what we find is that through the wrestling, we experience the presence of God. And I thought that is such a different mindset to faith. It's so different than what the Western world teaches of, hey, just believe this. Stop asking questions. Just believe it. No, it's in the wrestling that we actually can come to get to know presence of God. You see, when you wrestle with something, it shows you care so deeply you refuse to let it go. And anytime someone deconstructs and walks away from the faith, what I say is, no, you you may be walking away from people. You may be walking away because you have questions, but don't walk away from God. God can handle your questions. And some of you here today may be on the verge of deconstructing or some of you may be here today and you've said, I can't believe in in God because I have all these questions. And I would say, sure you can. You don't have to have every question answered to believe in the God of the universe. Wrestle with them. Wrestle with the text. Ask some questions. You might be surprised to find the presence of God on the other side. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley has to say about this. He says, you don't have to understand everything to believe in something. You don't have to understand everything. Some of you have very logical brains and you think all about science and logic. And you're like, I just want to know the logics of faith. Well, there's a lot of logic to faith. What you need to do, though, is is don't wait until you have every question answered because your questions will never be answered. There's always going to be more questions. The Christian faith is not based on having every question that you'll ever come up with answered. The Christian faith is based on the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and he died and he rose again three days later. That's what our faith is based off of. So the only thing that should cause us to doubt our faith... Is if someday they can, without a shadow of a doubt, dig up some bones and prove that it's Jesus and he didn't rise again. If they do that, then my whole tower crumbles and I walk away from the faith. But until then, we're gonna wrestle. Cause I believe that Jesus died and I believe he rose again. And so I don't have all the answers, but let's wrestle together. And I, I don't know why every bad thing has happened to everyone in the world. And I don't know why, why I, don't, I don't know, like, what happened at the very beginning of, of creation. I, I wasn't there. I don't have all the answers. But what I do know is I have a God who allows us to wrestle with Him. So may we be a people of deep faith. And we, may we know that deep faith doesn't come from shallow answers, but it comes from wrestling. And may we not be afraid when people ask us questions about our faith because God's not insecure, and so we shouldn't be either. And may we know that on the other side of our questions, on the other side of tension, on the other side of wrestling, is the very presence of God. We pray with me, God, we come before you, and we just thank you that you are a God who is alive, who's active who doesn't let us wrestle alone. And I ask God right now that you would just be speaking and moving that someone that is wrestling with faith, God, that they would take that step to believe it's okay to wrestle. They don't have to have every answer. God, I ask right now for those who are wrestling with family members who are deconstructing, God, I ask that you would give them grace and patience to allow them to wrestle and to love them. God, life is hard and you know that. You experience all the difficulties of life and we're not alone in this earth. So God, help us to become a people who have deep faith that comes only from wrestling with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. If you would like to hear more, please visit our website at NextLevelChurch.net. You can also follow us on social media at NextLevel757. Join us next time. We are kicking off a brand
1: new series that uh, that I want to share a little bit more with you about. To help do that, check out the screen. remodeling in some areas it doesn't mean that your family is just off the off the rails but at the same time we can all look around and say, hey um, how could I how could our family be better? how could we be more in line with uh, who God's called us to be so we're going to be exploring that starting next week. I hope that you will uh, invite somebody to come. This is a great time as we begin a new series invite somebody to come and join. Uh, to stick around uh, through that whole new series. Also, I'll say this. If today was your very first time with us, you are an honored guest, and we would love for you to stick around Next Level for a while, get to know us, let us have the opportunity to get to know you. And uh, to, to help do that, we've put together something called the Stick for Three Challenge. If you'll go by guest services that was right whenever you walked in. Tell them you want to take the stick for three challenge. Here's what's going to happen. The first thing is, uh, when you sign up today, we're going to make you get to choose one of our strategic partners, and we will make a donation on your behalf as a way of saying thank you for signing up for the challenge. And then when you completed the challenge, which PS, if this is any of you who have completed it, go buy guest services, let us know, and we have a, a gift bag for you with some next level merch in it. Um, the last thing that, that I'll leave you with is if you need prayer, if you uh, would like someone to join with you, go before God with you, um, our prayer room is open right outside in the lobby. We'd love for you to to, to stop in there, and we'd love to pray with you. Um, look forward to seeing you starting this Wednesday for a new series uh, or, or next Sunday. And just a quick reminder, those of you on this aisle, there's a little bit of water on the floor, so be careful. All right. See you guys next week. Thanks so much.